good morning, Glory family. Um, it's so nice to be with you this morning and have this opportunity to share with you. Um, you know, this topic, uh, Jesus in the Old Testament, is one that's very close to my heart. And um, <clears throat> growing up in the church as a believer in Jesus and also Jewish, I think my parents definitely shared with me some of the prophecies and I understood some of them, but uh, it wasn't really until I traveled to Israel as an 18 year old, um, I'd made this commitment in my heart. Um, when I turned 18, after I finished school, I just wanted to give the Lord just a year of my life um, with no plans, but just to go where he led me and just take the opportunities that he put in front of me. and. Originally, I thought oh, I'd head off to YWAM and do that, and um, I had some other ideas that I might end up in Africa. Um, but uh, yeah, it was probably about three months into finishing school that the Lord really started to speak to me about going to Israel. And so I worked super hard. I did labouring work and saved up a heap of heap of money, and I tripped off to Israel for six months. Um, or just under, I think I was there for five months. And um, as an eighteen-year-old, I remember it was. The Intifada had just started, so the war between the Palestinians and the Jews. And I remember my mum packing me like these massive big boots so I could walk across the shrapnel. And I had no idea what was going to happen. I thought I might be entering a war zone. Very exciting, but also a little bit scary um, for a homeschooling boy who grew up in a farm in Mansfield, Victoria. Anyway, uh, I rocked up to Israel to discover this incredible... Uh, uh, society that had been built. I flew into Tel Aviv and you know there were high rises and traffic and there were no tanks rolling by at the airport. It was quite peaceful. High number of soldiers, lots of um, young guys and girls my age running walking around with guns as because that's what you know that's what makes up the Israeli army 18, year, 18 to 21 year olds and um, and I landed in Tel Aviv and I went and worked with a guy called Jacob Damkani, who ran a ministry called Trumpet of Salvation over there. Now I'd done a little bit of outreach and evangelism, but this guy is like a hardcore evangelist. You should look him up, Jacob Damkani. He's been to prison for Jesus. He's just preaches the gospel. He's written a book called Lama Davkani, or in English it's called Why, Why Me? And um, anyway, so rocked up there. I, I had never really met the guy before. My parents were on his newsletter and they had um, they told me about him and and um, and I thought just had peace about going to work with him so I rocked up and and I ended up ending up in Jaffa and which is an Arab Israeli town and um, meeting this guy and it was sweltering hot and he he actually the first three days um, that I was there uh, we sat down and we were in a group actually I, I landed and started my trip doing a mission trip through Israel with about, I think it was like 40 other people from all over the world, Europeans, Americans, and um, doing outreach on the streets to Israelis and Arabs. And um, <clears throat> the first couple of days, we stayed in this thousand night hotel, which was actually just us sleeping on thin mats underneath the sky. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we spent our time unpacking the Bible. And, uh, you know, I'd grown up in indigenous communities. I'd done some mission with my parents in the Philippines. Um, but I found it quite fascinating, our training for sharing the gospel with 
Israelis was digging into the Old Testament. And um, I remember saying, well, why don't we show them some of the New Testament? And Jacob Demkani said, well, first of all, Jews had, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So what is the point of showing them the New Testament that Jesus is the truth? Um, when we can actually see that he is the way and he's the truth and he's the Messiah through the Old Testament. And so we went on a journey for three days, just unpacking that and looking at prophecy and really starting to get a, a lens for, an, a Jewish lens for Jesus. And I can tell you that helped me so much because the next four months I was out on the street a couple of times a week handing out flyers um, out there. I wasn't alone. We had, um, I'd go out with friends and we would share the gospel and it was, it was pretty awesome but pretty interesting as well. You come against ultra-Orthodox Jews, you come against offended people who'd been hurt so much by the church and by Christians. And then you also had what you call the Yad Lachim, the anti-missionary organization. And um, they're actually an ultra-Orthodox community that is set up by the Jewish, Jewish people, by the Jewish nation to stop um, proselyting or the sharing of, of, um, of Jesus with the Jewish people. And uh, being Jewish myself, a Jewish heritage, my father's Jewish, I, um, I remember just being challenged by so many things because when I landed in Israel, I felt like I came home. I felt like, wow, these are my people. But at the same time, my people didn't accept Jesus and actually saw Jesus as an enemy of the Jewish people. And there's a heap of different reasons, mainly historical, uh, because the history of the church and the Jews and the persecution that the Jews have received in the name of Jesus, that really has made, a, put a huge roadblock of blindness. The enemies used it to really stop the Jewish people from coming to know him. But you know, at that time, it also struck me, it made me as an 18 year old really reconsider my faith because I came to the realization that if Jesus is not the Messiah and the King of the Jews, he's actually no one's Messiah. And what I mean by that is that Jesus actually came and said that he was the promised Messiah and he said that to his people. Now, since then, it was about 10 years after Jesus died that the gospel first went to Cornelius and then it spread to the Gentile world, the non-Jews, and it's always been God's heart for the whole world to know him. But one thing we need to consider is that the proof of Jesus's identity is really found in the pudding. It's found in the writings. It's found in the traditions of the people that he came from. And... Um, I remember just being pushed and questioned and you know I'd start showing the, my faith about Jesus and the questions that I would have and the arguments and people threats and people spitting at me and people abusing me like consistently came up against me on the streets in Israel and um, I loved it I hated it I had times where I cried because it was just so overwhelming I had times where just people's hearts were so open and God spoke but it was a real challenging time for me but it really undergirded my faith you know yesterday at street peace I met one of these kids um, one of the one of um, a friend of one of these girls that's actually on team with us and he started talking about not believing in God and he talked about 
um, he started talking about science and how you know he's got into science and so I was like sweet let's talk about science I'm a rocket scientist I say aerospace engineer what is it that you believe in science that makes you not believe in a creator or grand design and um, <laughs> I think it was like into my second question about second second law of thermodynamics that he just like was like whoa and realized he was out of the depth and I said you know science really points to God and then he just quickly flicked to the next one well which God and I was like hang on do you actually believe in that there's a God now like it's only only a couple of minutes and you realizing that maybe science doesn't annul God and um, and then he said well which God is it Allah is it Buddha is it Jesus what is it and um, you know that's a really good question because you know, the Jews were told by Moses that if that he said there are going to be people who are going to come and they're going to say, don't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, this one God. They're going to do miracles. There might even be angels and they're going to have prophecies and they, they may might even come, come about. But if anyone says not to follow the one true God, then ignore them. No matter what you feel, no matter what you see, no matter what miracles happen or take place, you're to follow this one true God. So, you know, the question as a Jew was like, well, you know, the Jews believe that Jesus isn't the one true God, that we as Christians actually um, believe in a triune God, a God that's three people. Um, they look at it as a Gnostic Greek mindset. And so they, they I remember having these questions and wrestling going, whoa, is, it, is my faith real? Sure, I've had experiences, encounters, but they point to this verse, and you know, especially the ultra-Orthodox, it doesn't matter what you've experienced or what you've encountered. Moses said this was going to happen, and we're not to listen to them because you follow a false god. God is not man. Man is not God. Um, things like that. And so talking to this young boy yesterday, I suddenly felt myself back into this situation of like, well, how do we know that Jesus, Christianity is the way? Everyone says their way is the way. And it's quite fascinating because, you know, Jesus, is, Jesus or God says that he holds his word above his name. Like the word, his word is his name. God chose to reveal himself and hold himself to something. And that is not experience. That's not we have the best case of belief or we're the only religion that we don't have to work for God. He, he, you know, he actually worked for us. They're all true, but they're not, as, like as far as God is concerned, they're not the things that he held himself to. You know what he held himself to? He held himself to the Tanakh. Tanakh is what we know as the Old Testament I have a real problem with that um, terminology. Only that um, if you have the Old Testament, then you have the New Testament. And unfortunately, we, we label like what, you know, I think um, last week uh, we had Liam sharing about the covenants. We label all the covenants that are spoken about in the Tanakh as old, and yet some of them are actually eternal, like the Abrahamic covenant and the Noah covenant. They're not old, they're actually eternal. Um, the only one that has has been um, not void, but has been superseded is actually the Meset, the the Mosaic covenant, the covenant that was given to Moses and the children of Israel at Mount Sinai. So anyway, something to think about. I'd love to unpack with you more about that. So I like to use the word Tanakh because God chose through his prophets to reveal um, who the Messiah was to be. 
And that is the greatest proof, honestly, if you want to, you know, Allah, um, well, how do we know he exists? Well, Muhammad had a dream, great. Were there any prophecies beforehand that, that, that Allah was going to reveal himself and that this was a real, one true way to live? Or Buddha, I mean, I don't know much about it. I need to research it more. But Jesus and, and actually God chose to hold himself to his own word. And these prophetic statements that have been spoken about over like a span time of over probably like 2,000 years or more before Jesus came about, came to pass. And so I just wanted to unpack some of those with you today because I feel like they're firm foundations. If you can go and go, look, it was prophesied right at the beginning. Moses prophesied about a Messiah who was going to come. And we see Isaiah prophesying. We see Micah. We see Daniel prophesying all at different times. And he didn't just prophesy that he was going to come. He actually prophesied a whole lot of different things. First of all, there was a promise of the Messiah. Right at the beginning, there would be a Messiah. We're going to learn where that Messiah was to come from, how it was to come into the world, how he was to come into the world. We would learn of his lineage. What was the lineage of Messiah? You go on. We're going to learn where the location of the Messiah, um, where his birthplace was. We know about the timing of Messiah. And finally, we know the mission of Messiah. Now, they're the things that we're going to look at today. There's a whole lot of other things you can look at, like how he was going to die, um, what his you know, greater purpose, which can be found in his mission. But today, I just wanted to run through a few of those things, because if you could say, you know what? Jesus is the way. He's the truth and he's the life because he actually is the promised Messiah. Why is that important? Well, because the Messiah was prophesied from the beginning of creation that he would come and we were told what he was going to be like, the timing, who, um, what his mission was, and then Jesus came and fulfilled all those things. Now, people try to write that off and say, well, look, the Bible was written by one man, but that's just ridiculous because the Bible is not only um, written by different authors, which is very, very clear. The writing style's different. The timing's different. In fact, the Bible is not just written in Hebrew. It's also written in Aramaic, so the writers write at different times. So we throw that out, and actually we can see that the Bible is one of the most authentic, most historical, reliable books in history. And... and um, and archaeologists use the Bible as a resource in archaeology because of how authentic and how reliable it is. Okay, so on that, let's just hit this. I'm gonna. I, I hope that this is a blessing to you. Um, it really is something that um, I've found helpful, and we're just gonna go through the, some of the prophecies of Jesus. So we're gonna start off um, in Genesis chapter three, verse fourteen. So. Sin has just entered the world and God has found Adam and Eve. They've run away from him. Sin isn't a problem for God approaching mankind. It's what makes mankind run from God. And so Genesis 3 verse 14 says, So the Lord said to the serpent, he ser curses the serpent, says, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat the dust and the days, all the days of your life. And he says, I'll put enmity there's a battle that's going to go on between you and the woman. I believe he's talking about the devil here, between humanity and the demonic forces. And he says, between your seed and her seed. 
and he shall bruise your head and you shall so he shall bruise your head head and you shall strike his heel so that's genesis 3:14 so suddenly we hear about this war that's going to take a place that god promises right at the beginning that he's going to send a seed i love that word seed because we see it all the way through all the way through into 1 john that we're partakers of the divine nature that we have the seed of god the spermata of god inside of us it's awesome between her seed and your seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall um or another scripture says he shall crush your head and and um you shall strike his heel so there you go first promise someone's going to come from and and the cool thing is this right this is not um an alien this is not god himself whoever this promised one to come is is going to come from a woman fascinating right it doesn't even specify it didn't even say he came from adam he said it'll come from a woman so there you go there's our first piece of the puzzle Isaiah 7 actually speaks about this woman in more detail because remember the Jews have got this woman, the woman or the virgin or this lady. I think it's believe it's the same word Hebrew where it says the woman is the same word for virgin. And so Isaiah 7:14 says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, the woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Fantastic. Well, we know that Jesus' name was not Emmanuel, but Emmanuel in Hebrew literally means God with us. Isn't that cool? Wow. So we know this promised one. He's going to be born of a woman. He's going to deal with the issue of the enemy, the snake, the sin, what caused corruption in the world. And the unique thing about his character is that he literally is this man that's born of this woman is going to carry the characteristics is going to be God with us it's got to be God amongst us it reminds me of John 1 that the word was with God and was God and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us cool wow okay so we've got a couple of points now we know a little bit about what he's going to do, his purpose, the promise. Okay, but you know, every uh, every Jewish mother, they say this, every Jew thinks that his son is, is going to be the Messiah. Um, she thinks her son is the Messiah until he gets to a certain age. So yeah, I remember my father saying that his parents thought that maybe he was the promised Messiah. Well, okay, maybe the Messiah could come from anywhere. But then the Bible, God himself chose again to abide by his own word that he spoke through the prophets and said where the Messiah was to come from. We know that he was to come from Abraham because God chose Abraham. He said, from you I'll make you a great nation, an eternal nation. And he chose Isaac from Abraham. He didn't choose Ishmael. He chose Isaac. He chose the seed of Isaac. And God confirmed that. And then from Isaac, we see that it went to Jacob and not Esau. Again, through the seed, through the lineage, through that dream that Jacob had when he was running away from his brother Esau after he'd stolen his birthright and stolen the blessing. And God showed him that dream 
Betel, angels ascending and descending over him. And he said, I'll make you a great nation and all this land I will give to you. So what do we find out? God suddenly said, okay, it's a woman. It's the woman's going to bear a God child. And it's going to be through a people that he chooses. It's the people of Israel. Cool. And more importantly, we get a general gist of it because he he said that he gave these people a land. So now we've got a location. It's in the Middle East. It's in the land of Israel. Cool. If we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you've got the nation of Israel. But now we discover that it's not just a nation. He's chosen a family. He's cho chosen um, David. So 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 16 says, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I'll set up your seed after you. Isn't this cool? What's we talking about? Seed. This, this terminology goes all the way through the Bible. And you, and who, sorry, who will come after you, who will come from your body. Right, so the seed that comes through, through David's lineage. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You know, a lot of people thought, and, and Solomon thought, that this was his role. But he didn't build a kingdom that is forever. Jesus did. He built a house. He said, he spoke about, build this house and the house of God. He says, in three days it will be destroyed and then it will be built up. And we have now become the household of God. He says, I'll be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I'll chastise him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul when I removed it from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. Okay, so what does that mean? The kingdom of God was, you know, the, the kingship of God was actually handed over to Saul. Um, before that, Israel lived under theocracy, under the judges. They didn't have a king, which is fascinating because God wanted to be their king. But the people asked for a king, so God handed the kingship over to an anointed one. The actually anointed one in Hebrew is Mashiach. That's what it means. And um, David, when he, he was hiding in the cave and one of his men, remember that story of Saul creeping in and having to relieve himself or do a crap? And... I think it was that time, one of his men said, this is the time, David, the Lord will avenge, you can avenge your enemies. And David said, would you, would you raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? That word, Lord anointed, actually in Hebrew would be Mashiach. Would you raise your hand against the Mashiach? And he's little Mashiach because the anointed ones were the ones that God had chosen. We are, in. I mean, it makes a lot of sense now that we are the body of Messiah. We are, Christians literally means Young anointed ones, small anointed ones, followers of the anointed one, um, of the anointed one, and we are we are little anointed ones. Isn't that awesome? And so he says, um, <clears throat> the kingdom is now going to go through the lineage of David and not Saul, because God chose to remove his blessing off the lineage and the seed of Saul and put onto David. But God made a promise: I will never break covenant with you. Your lineage from you will come an eternal kingdom. It's awesome. Wow. So, so well, let's go back. It's going to be born of a woman. This woman is going to have a child that is a God child. Um, it's going to come through the children of Israel. But now we've got a family that it comes through. More importantly, it's the tribe of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah came David. And out of 
from David was to come this king who was going to establish an eternal kingdom. In Isaiah 11 verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Again, it's just this shoot. There's this going to be this prophecy of life that's going to come out of Jesse. <clears throat> In Jeremiah 23 verse 5 to 6, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this, this is the name by which he shall be called. The Lord is righteous. Isn't that awesome? So another name that's given to Jesus. The Lord our God is righteous. <clears throat> In 2 Samuel 7 verse 12 to 16, he again affirms this thing. Again, it's, this Messiah is going to come through the lineage of David. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12 to 16. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you, bef uh, away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established for forever. You know, I, I love this about David, that David was chosen by God because he was a man after God's own heart. That's the people that he's looking for. He was a foreshadow of the coming promise of Messiah. I, you know, he, he chose Abraham because Abraham was willing to give up even the blessing that God had given him of being a great nation just for the sake of God, that he would hold nothing, not even his only begotten son from Sarah. And... He shaped a nation through that, that would one day um, take over the whole world because God himself did not withhold his own begotten son, that we might partake of the promises of Abraham and we might partake of the promises of God and we might be born again and rebirthed into his kingdom. I love it. It's so good. <clears throat> Okay, so we've got where his family line now. Now, this is fascinating because, you know, in two of the Gospels, when you crack open the Gospels, the first chapter you read is a, a chapter on, on lineage. It's a chapter of whose father was father, father, and one, one's on the, the um, lineage of um, Joseph. The other one follows the lineage of Mary. So you open, crack open Matthew, and what was the book of Matthew written to? It was written to the Jewish people. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew was was a, it was a Jew, and what does what's the first thing that a Jew wants to know? Does he want to know all the miracles that Jesus did? Well, no. Moses said people would come and do that. Do we want to know all about the angelic visitations that Jesus had? Well, who knows? But like that can be great. But still, we've been warned that. Crazy things will happen. People can come. Prophets can come. But we're not to forsake God. So what do we need to know? We, for us to know that we're worshipping and we're following the right person, which is Emmanuel, God on earth, then he has to fulfill the prophecies. And what's a very clear prophecy? This one, number one, is that Jesus came from the direct lineage of David. And that's why you have... That's the first thing that you read in the book of Matthew, because any Jew cracking that open, 
In fact, I believe, I actually, I think that any, any person who has an education around God and around the promises of God and the God that's been here from the beginning of time and been writing his story, and if we really understood the Old Testament, if we grabbed a hold of that, we would be looking for the signs so that when we hit the New Testament or we hit the stories of Jesus, we're like, cool, does he do X, Y, and Z? And that's why the New Testament opens up with it. Yes, first of all, let's just settle this once and for all. We're going to settle that he is born of a woman, <laughs> that he um, is prophesied, and it was spoken that he would be God with us, Emmanuel. That's actually unpacked in the book of Matthew, that the Spirit of God would come upon Mary. And we know his lineage. We know that he's from the tribe of Judah. And he's from the root of Jesse. He's from David's lineage. He's, he's, he's royalty. Um, so that's why we hit that. Okay, next thing though, again, God's like, I'm not just, I don't want to make it vague. I want everyone to know that the Messiah who I'm going to send, that this is him. I'm going to tell them where this Messiah is going to be born. So turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are little, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. Whoa. And that explains a lot. That's John 1 again. He was in the beginning. Whose going forth are from old and going from of old and forever from everlasting. I mean we're also getting to realize that this Messiah, as we've, as we've already read, that this Messiah is actually given a name from Isaiah 7, God with us. And as we look at this, it's like, man, this person, this individual is going to be eternal. And he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's why Bethlehem is so important. And that's why you should remember the three wise men. Well, we don't know they're three, but the three, the, the wise men that came to Jerusalem um, said they were seeking the anointed one and they talked to the scribes and the Pharisees and they said well we've studied the scriptures and we can see that this anointed one is to be born from Bethlehem um, where'd that come out of? Micah chapter 5 verse 2 okay so we've got his lineage we've got even location born in Israel now we've got Bethlehem is born of a woman all those things are great, but man, like Israel's been around for a long time and Bethlehem's been around for a long time. So did we miss him? How do we know when he's going to come? Daniel 9, um, uh, I believe uh, Liam was unpacking some of that earlier on in a couple of passages earlier. God starts to reveal not only the promised one, but re reveals... Um, his timing of the coming Messiah. So Daniel 9, 25 to 26. If you've got your Bibles, read this. Now uh, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62, seven weeks and 62 weeks. So what is that? That's 67 weeks plus 62 weeks is... And my math is not great. 69 weeks. 
the streets shall be built again, the wall, even in troubled times. And so I don't actually have time to show you a chart right now. If I could, I'd bring it up. But I encourage you to go onto you onto Facebook or not, not Facebook, sorry, onto Google and put in the 70 weeks and 62 weeks Daniel 9 prophecy. And you'll see that actually the dates of those weeks as they represent years marry up exactly with the birth time or actually the death of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the death of Jesus. And it, you can see it because we actually know the date that the first word went forth, the command to rebuild Jerusalem and then the coming of Messiah. And then it says um, after 62 weeks, right? Boom, on this date, the 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So he's not getting killed for himself. So he's starting to understand a bit of not just the timing, but the purpose, the, the mission of Messiah. And the people of, of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so what does that mean? First of all, Jerusalem was to be rebuilt. The temple's rebuilt because at the time of Daniel, the temple was destroyed. Um, we have the timing of it, 69 weeks, which have a look at that, to the coming of Messiah. And it was to happen before it's after that Jerusalem and the sanctuary was to be destroyed. Now, I loved talking to, I love talking to, um, to Jews, especially Orthodox Jews around the timing of Messiah, because Daniel 9 is very, very clear. That's why they at that time, the people had this expectation of the coming of Messiah. The destruction of the temple is not vague. We have that written down in history, 70 AD. So before 70 AD, um, and after 69 weeks after the going forth of the 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 um, command to rebuild Israel, I might even have it here. Let's just have a quick look. Um, where is it? Uh, I had it up. Um, so the the um, 490 weeks is 6 BC so that's 490 years after the commandment um, given to rebuild the the temple brings us to from 6 BC so it's 516 BC when it was told to rebuild and then 490 years after that brings us to 6 BC which is the birth of Christ and then after that we've got 33 years <clears throat> where um or not 33 oh sorry 33 AD at the pers at the at the death of Christ and so then we've got 70 AD when the temple was destroyed anyway have a look at it the prophecy of Daniel 9 24 to 27 um it's a, it's a beer whole sermon in and of itself drawing up it, with the dates. But have a look at this. We've got the date of the coming of Messiah. So I love talking to Orthodox Jews and I say to them, I'm like, hey, you know, the mystery of the Messiah is not actually like the coming of like when he was to come is not vague. Like we were told when the Messiah was to come. So we've given him, we've got who, where he comes from a woman. He's to be this God man. He is born from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David. He was born in a town called Bethlehem. And we have pretty much very close to the date within a span of, let's say 50, 60 years of, you know, even if it's vague, we can move around. It'd be less than that. But so we've got 50 years of when the Messiah was to come. 
it's there. God holds himself to his word. And I can tell you, like, for one person to fulfill, like, two of these prophecies or three of them is, like, such... The probability of that is, is so... Um, so low, but for see, to see someone, to have someone come and fulfill all these prophecies is, is a sign that Jesus is the promised Messiah. It makes our foundation, it makes us secure that we're not just following something that feels good because Buddha and people who do different astro travel and they, they have experiences the spiritual world is very real it needs to be grounded in something that god chooses to hold himself to and that's his word through the prophecies and that's why i love unpacking these things and i'd love to unpack with you some of the types and shadows next time but this is hopefully this helps you just firm up your faith and that's why all through the gospels you read about Matthew and Luke and Mark. They're all referring back to the prophecies and so to fulfill prophecy and so to fulfill prophecy. Because as believers, it's important. That's, that's our foundation of the proof that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Okay, getting back to this, I wanted to wrap this up real quickly. Almost done. So we've got the timing. And finally, and, and it had to be before 70 AD. So, so let me just finish this. So I talked to ultra-Orthodox Jews and like, we know the timing of the Messiah. He was to come before, after the rebuilding of the temple. And we know when it was destroyed in 70 AD. And we actually know the timing. It was around 6 BC after 490 years. So what goes on? And, and you know, they actually have a reason for it. They say, well, it's true. Daniel prophesied, but um, we weren't ready for him to come. So he wasn't sent because we argued. We had too many fights. We had too many sects. You remember, you had the Herodians, the Pharisees, the um, Sadducees. You had the Essenes. You had the Zealots. So you had all these different sects that had all different opinions around the law. And there was a lot of fighting at that time. There was not a lot of unity. And they say it's because of this that the Messiah wasn't able to be fulfilled. And do you know what? That actually makes Daniel the prophet not a true prophet. Saying, well... It was prophesied, but it didn't take place. So actually it makes Daniel a false prophet. And I love drilling that home with Orthodox Jews because it's crystal clear that Jesus is the one who fulfills this. There's no other, there's no other man that came from Israel who's transformed the whole world and thousands of people follow and whose lives, um, who have, whose lives have been radically changed by Jesus. Um, there's no one else who was born during that time that has had that effect on the world or on the nation of Israel. Okay, so that's awesome. But finally, we've got location, date, where his lineage, where he's to be born, um, um, who is to come from. We've finally got something else, and that's Isaiah chapter 53. Look, there's a lot of different prophecies around the Messiah and what he was to, to, to do, but I really love Isaiah 53 because it really speaks clearly about what the, the mission of the Messiah is to be. Now, the issue that Jews have and um, uh, they have with Jesus is that we have multiple prophecies around this Messiah. And, you know, you've got other prophecies in Isaiah that talk about the lion and the lamb lying down and peace on earth and plowsheds being, um, swords being built in 
um, beaten into plowshares and that Israel will no longer have enemies. And that definitely didn't happen with Jesus' coming. But you have to realize that the Jews actually believe in two messiahs as well. And the messiah is Messiah, Mashiach ben Joseph, and the other is Mashiach ben David. And the the Mashiach ben, ben Yosef, ben Joseph, is a suffering servant, the life of Joseph, if you remember, he suffered for his people, yet he was a Messiah raised up. And so they read Isaiah 53 and some of these other prophecies out of Psalms, and they say, okay, there will be a Messiah who will come, who will suffer for his people. And that Messiah did come, but he's the one same Messiah who's going to come as a reigning king um, to return. But anyway, let's read Isaiah chapter 53 really um, quickly just to wrap this up, because this is what Jesus has done. Um, this is this was the mission of Jesus, and and um, you know I've read this to Jewish people, and um, and they're like, okay, that's good enough reading uh, from the New Testament now. And I'm like, actually, this is this is not the New Testament. This is the Tanakh. Um, this is written by uh, the prophet Isaiah, and so it says this: To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. What is that? He's born in humility. We see him born in a stable. His nothing striking or unique was, um, was about him that made us follow him. It says he was despised and rejected by men. Wow. In fact, sorry, I missed a part of the very first verse of Isaiah, who has believed what he has heard from us? So that's another thing. He's going to be not received or people are not, his own people are not going to believe him. He's despised. He's rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So this Messiah, this one that the Lord raises up, um, it's going to show the might of God because that's what the arm of God means, the, in the flex of God. God's flexing on humanity. Um, is this person, but he's going to be one of sorrow. He's going to be a one who people actually hide their face from because of how awful um, his grief is. And we see that on the cross that people turn their face away because of just the grizzliness of, of his suffering. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And then he goes on to say this, his mission is he bore our grief. He carried our sorrow. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God, afflicted. This is a clear prophecy. It's the Jews, the Pharisees saw him. That was God's affliction on him. But he was pierced for our transgressions, so he dies a certain way. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So this Messiah, this person that's going to come, is, as we see in Daniel 9, he's going to be cut off. And Isaiah 53 explains what that looks like. He goes on to say, we've all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. I mean, we see that. He stood before Pontius Pilate and he didn't give a defense. And like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, he and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. I mean, again, just the fact that he was put in that rich man, in, um, oh, I forget the guy's name, was it Nicodemus? But anyway, the rich man, wealthy man's tomb. Um, 
yet he died and he was crucified next to two robbers. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So what is it? He dies for nothing. He, he dies accused falsely, but he has done nothing wrong himself. He's innocent. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. It was put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So what's that? He's going to die, but then we're going to see him come back to life. But God's going to prolong his days. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. There's going to be satisfaction that comes out of this brokenness. It's his soul is going to be content in choosing to suffer for his people. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many. He shall divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes the intercession for the transgressors. Look, this is just a, just a touch, just a small bit um, of actually the many, I think there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. Um, some of them Jesus has fulfilled and some of them he has not yet fulfilled. Um, and, you know, I think it's easy for us as believers to go, well, of course, like, why can't people see that Jesus is the promised one? But you have to realize that if you can't see clearly, then the prophecies that you think he's going to fulfill that he hasn't fulfilled yet are going to overshadow the ones that you don't even know that he has to fulfill. In fact, many Jews don't even read Isaiah 53 and they've never heard of it before because it's not spoken about. The one who suffers for our people that was really shut down after um, around AD 70 where they realized the Pharisaic community realized that a lot of these prophecies really lined up with Jesus and so they're not read in this, this, this Isaiah 53 is not read in the synagogues. Um, many people have not heard of it, but at the same time, many, many Jews are coming to faith in Jesus like never before. But I just want to encourage you again, that as you read through the Old Testament, it all points to Yeshua, it all points to Jesus. It shouldn't be scary, and if it's confusing, then I encourage you to ask the Lord to make it clear, because the purpose of the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, is to reveal Jesus. And so I hope that this has been helpful. I hope this has firmed up your faith. Prophecies over 2,000 years that Jesus fulfilled. That's how we know that he's the promised one, because he fulfilled them. Isn't that awesome? And because of that, we can now put our faith in him, encounter him, and follow him. I hope you all have an awesome Sunday. Enjoy the Lord. Enjoy your time with each other. If you get a chance, dig into the word. Have a look at these passages. And um, I look forward to seeing you all very soon. And I pray that this COVID um, crisis would, would go away, that the Lord would just um, bless our city, would protect all of you and protect your health in Jesus' name. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see you all and give you guys hugs. God bless.